Dr. Sharda Narayanan is Assistant Professor, Department of Natya, Dr. MGR Janaki College, Chennai, from 2012 till date, teaching under uh, Graduate Indian Philosophy and Postgraduate Aesthetics and Natya Theory. She is a PhD from JNU and her thesis topic was Concept of Jati and Dravya with special reference to Vakya Padya of Bharathari. In addition to MA in Sanskrit, she is also an MSc in Astrophysics from Bangalore University. Again, welcome Dr. Shada. Thank you very much. Native to India and also English speaking, we are yet not native English speakers and we have our limitations in following what the Westerners, uh, Western Indologists have to say on Mimamsa. I feel very privileged to be here to do my bit in the defense of Mimamsa. I look at a few uh, issues in interpretation with specific examples uh, with uh, the uh, quotations uh, in uh, two areas, we'll come to that. As one of the greatest writers of modern times on Mimamsa, Professor K.T. Pandurangi writes, quote, the area of semantics is deeply probed by philosophy, psychology, anthropology and other human sciences that deal with the mind. It is the behavior of the mind that is reflected in the behavior of languages. Mimamsa philosophy that gives utmost importance Shabda Pramana to Shabda Pramana is deeply concerned with language. It studies all aspects concerning the import of language. Its studies belong to a period of our intellectual history when psychology, sociology, human sciences, etc. were not bifurcated from philosophy. Therefore, its handling of the problems of language involves the approach of these disciplines also. Mimamsa reveals remarkable insight on these aspects." Unquote. I'll just rush through the introductory slides. Uh, you, we know that yajna was uh, a ritual that was few and far between for the normal citizen. They were mo the big yajnas were mostly undertaken by the kings for the welfare of the whole country. And no citizen was excluded from the prayers of the welfare. Uh, and uh, unlike what is popularly believed, these rituals included the tribals and the uh, working classes, such as Rathakara and Nishada Raja. The temples were the hub of uh, uh, cultural and religious activities and they were not in discordance with the ritual uh, religion or anything. We look at the evolution of thought in ancient India. Uh, we know that Buddha was much after the Upanishads and from very early times the Upanishadic thought itself is at variance with the Vedic ritualistic culture. So we know that Jainism is a very ancient religion and way back we had the Charvaka schools, the Jaina and the Baudha. So there was a lot of variety in thinking right from Vedic times. And we know that the, uh, uh, the Buddha preached about kindness and uh, basic things which were not at variance with the Upanishads. And uh, Although he preached against the Atman and against a personal God, it did not stop the people from the Jataka tales from celebrating many rebirths of the Buddha as the Bodhisattva or the Buddhists worshipping many Buddhist and Hindu divinities. In the 8th century, Banabhata writes about on uh, a society how members of the same family were free to choose different deities for their personal worship. This was something like different cults within the same society and the Buddhist very clearly appears to be harmoniously one of them. In the uh, 12th century, Jayadeva sings of Buddha as one of the avatars of uh, Mahavishnu. So 
so we see that the buddhist culture and the hindu culture were totally absorbed within each other and we had a lot of evolution with many creeds existing in a common cultural milieu and i think unity and diversity is indeed india's strength and we need to be very careful of western studies which are divisive and seek to break the sense of unity amidst so many different groups the a uh, commentary on the gita govinda says that the fact that uh, jayadeva who was a, a mystic and a philosopher has included uh, uh, buddha in the dashavatara shows that uh, buddha condemned excessive animal slaughter for selfish reasons through uh, ritual but did not look down upon other noble tenets of the upanishads of the vedas and in fact the buddha's words are taken so seriously that uh, many commun- brahmin communities in india have turned totally vegetarian in their diet we find the western uh, scholars uh, seem to needlessly target brahmins or priests as power mongers that the brahmin was held in high esteem was a reflection of the respect people had for the vedas prabhakara mishra one of the greatest mimamsakas has said that brahmanatva is not a jati but an upadhi that is one is not born a brahmin but becomes one due to circumstances and training from infancy the, the western researchers don't talk about these things Now Bronckhurst inquires, quote, the schools of philosophy that arose beside Mimamsa believed in the beginninglessness of the universe to be sure, but they all accepted unlike Mimamsa the periodic destruction and recreation of the world. Why then did Mimamsa invent and accept the strange set of doctrines? What could the Mimamsakas possibly gain by doing so? But we are entitled to ask what benefit these strange doctrines brought with them? What could be the advantage for the Brahmins concerned in accepting them? Unquote. I think uh, Bronco's inquiry into what could have been their advantages goes outside the purview of academic inquiry and it would have been considered very strange if everybody had the same view. Nalanda University was known to have 10,000 teachers at one time and it's not likely that they all taught the same uh, philosophy. Now coming to this point as to why Mimamsa takes this uh, stand on uh, uh pralaya and uh, the nityatva of shabda in their view nit- nit- shabda is eternal and does not undergo dissolution during pralaya now the other schools all of them you leave the buddhists out if the the other orthodox schools themselves ask how anything can escape uh, pralaya so then the mimamsaka takes a very practical step he take the bold stance of saying in our system there is no pralaya they say they take a practical view and say that our tenets are valid in a constant world i think one should appreciate the deliberate logic that mimamsa adopts it's all very well to single them out as being unconventional or having a peculiar notion but let's not forget that nobody has seen pralaya nobody has seen uh, uh, creation mimamsa talks about our life on this earth which surely has an end so they are very practical and uh, it's not unusual for any uh, for uh, many modern uh, concepts or uh, systems of knowledge even in today's world where they say this is the framework this is the hypothesis this is our picture there is a lower limit and an upper limit uh, you to use mathematical language for a very simple example of ohm's law in electrical engineering it says you have a circuit you give a higher voltage you get a higher current but that is only until the circuit melts if it melts then the, this rule doesn't hold so it is like that we have to appreciate the uh, logic that they deliberately uh, take up 
Now, this is, there is a whole article written by uh, Johannes Bronckhurst. I don't know if I mentioned uh, Bronckhurst's uh, papers. I have the bibliography here, but I don't have it in, for my presentation. Yeah, that's too much detail. Now, there's a whole article he writes on the meaning of these uh, two karikas from the Vakya Kanda of uh, Bhartruhari, which discusses word meaning. He says, quote, they say that the characteristic of what is to be conveyed is that all words have things corresponding to them. This applies to words such as cow as much as to the words apurva, devata and swarga. The grasping of the form akara, this is the translation of the second verse, the grasping of the form akara as a result of repeatedly observing the use of a word, on the other hand, is not the realm of words for it is based on a different effort." Unquote. Now what he says here is that just as we understand the word cow and he says in the article he says that the Mimamsaka method of language, learning a language is to observe the use of language by elders, Vridha Vyavaharat. So we observe the word being used and then we understand the word and the meaning. So the child sees the cow and he associates the word gau with that and that's how he learns. So Bronckhurst uses this example to say that to the Mimamsaka, Apurva, Swarga and Devata are real things. That is the point he makes in this article. Now, firstly that is an error. It is a wrong translation. He doesn't go into the meaning of this uh, Karika at all. Uh, he says later, quote, the second half of the above observation, there are things corresponding to all Sanskrit words will occupy us in this article. It is the most startling half, at least from a modern point of view. It is demonstrably untrue for the languages we now use, which may have many words such as Martian, angel, that do not refer to any existing entities, not at least according to an important part of their users. Now he says, normally if you say fairy, Martian, angel, we understand those words. So he says, in case you thought you can understand Apurva, Swarga, Devata like that, no, it is not like that. And on what uh, basis does Bronckhurst differentiate? He says you can't apply that to Sanskrit language because this is different. You can apply Sanskrit language rules, linguistic rules only to the Sanskrit language. You cannot apply it to any other language. Now that is totally without basis. Nobody has ever said that. And it is not as if the Western Indologists do not borrow linguistic ideas where it suits them. If you were discussing words as um, table, chair, pot, cow, then there is no argument between languages. You see, one uh, whether you are talking of uh, English or French or uh, Sanskrit or Hindi, we have to agree with the same uh, rules. But here, because it is Sanskrit, Bronker says, uh, he, because the Westerner does not require Apurva, Devata, Swarga, they use these words to show that uh, there is something wrong with our theory. In this particular case, uh, in fact, uh, the, the interpretation Bronckhurst uh, takes from this karika is not correct. Bhartruhari is saying something else here, which I won't go into because it, it's a little bit of uh, linguistic theory. But he does, Bhartruhari does talk of the process by which if I say angel or Martian or um, uh, the, the, the way, the manner in which you would understand that word, he does use the example of Apsaras in a different place. In fact, uh, the, the commentator on the Vakya uh, Padiya, Punyaraja says, Buddhya, buddhya Rudastu Shabdasya Artaha Na Bahya. 
And artha, the word artha has so many meanings. It means goal, it means purpose, it means wealth, it means meaning, it means thing. And Bronkhurst takes it as thing. It is not as if they said bahya artha to be very sure. So this is a classic example of how the Western uh, uh, researcher or uh, Indologist misinterprets and gives a skewed view instead of showing what universal ideas we have in our linguistics. They give a skewed picture on artificially constructed evidence. I have not even come to what is the actual meaning of the karika here because I don't think we require it here. But the point is that he is off the mark and he picks up some words and then it looks very exciting because you can show that Mehman Sakas believed that these were external objects. Uh, this reminded me, because um, I am not talking of Pollock here, but this reminded me of one issue. In um, uh, the story of Urvashi, we all know that uh, she was uh, passing through the skies with her friends and uh, the Rakshasa Keshi uh, carried her away. He kidnapped her and he just lifted her and carried her away. And hearing her friends crying out for help, the hero Purura was arrived and then he gave the Rakshasa chase and he rescued her. And on their way back, when she came out of her frightened swoon and their eyes met, it's one of those great moments in literature. Pollock translates Vikram Urvashiyam as Urvashi one by force. And I think he looks at it from the Rakshasa's point of view and not from Kalidasa's point of view. Coming to the, uh, the Aporushetva, I have these karikas here, I will uh, want to uh, discuss this in detail with a specific example of how the argument goes. Now we know of the Aporushetva stand of the Mimamsakas, it existed, it came up well before the Buddhist uh, uh, allegations or uh, attacks on the tenets. And uh, uh, generally in uh, uh, Darshana, the writer anticipates all the problems and takes it up. There may be a school of thought who says, who has that objection, the Purva Paksha. There may not be any uh, school that is saying that even. When we explain something to somebody and we are doing a thorough job or since, we'll say, supposing this were this, we would pick holes ourselves. That's how the discussion normally goes. So it is difficult sometimes to understand these texts because nobody is quoted and specifically. So it takes a lot of background, it takes a good teacher to guide you through these texts. Now, in uh, Aporushetva, uh, I, I would like to just say uh, one minute on what we mean by Nitya here. When they say that uh, Shabda is Nitya, both Mimamsakas and Vayakaranas take Shabda as Nitya. And it means, in fact, Patanjali and uh, uh, Bhatruhari explain the Pravaha Nityata. If we are to learn a language, you don't go into what is a word, how should it be. You say these are the words and then you learn the language. So for most of us who are entering a language system and trying to pick up that language, the language is already there. That is what they mean by Nitya. We don't see it being formed, we don't have to manufacture it. Patanjali in the Vyakarna Mahabhashya says, we don't go to a potter, we go to a potter and say, Kuru me ghatam, I want to use, I need jar, I will pay you, make me some pots. We don't go to a grammarian and say, Kuru me shabdam, I want to use words, give me a word. We don't do that. Now this is Nityata. Again, I go back to a modern parallel of saying this is a given picture, so the words are there. So we are looking at it, assuming the words are there. Now that is Nityata. If somebody believes that the Vedas are floating eternally in deep space, now that is their choice. It is not what the people say. If this is, I think, if you would say somebody is a very wise man or an intellectual, and some people expect him to clear leprosy and raise the dead before they can believe that he is a uh, uh, seer. You know? So it is something like that. 
But if you look at the text, we look at our logic and how convincing can, how far can you convince somebody, they go the length. So in Aparushetva, uh, they, when they discuss uh, the, the Mimamsakas and the Baudhas are at, uh, in argument, and they argue only in a few places in Mimamsa. Pollock makes it look like uh, they are totally against each other, but Buddhist issues come up only in a handful of uh, uh, situations in the Mimamsaka discussion. They say that they are uh, denying the Vedas, they are attacking it and they are saying we don't believe in it and it is not to be believed. One is uh, in Shabda Pramana we are looking at the meaning of a sentence. The next step is the validity. If somebody tells you something, you understand the meaning, the sentence, but you may or may not believe that. So whether you believe the person or not depends on so many things, whether you trust the person, whether you expect the person to give you proper information, etc, etc. Then if the person is giving you whether the person's knowledge is valid or not, depends basically on two issues, whether he has the right information or whether he intends to deceive you. That's all. It's Vanchakatvam or his uh, Brantam. I mean, his knowledge itself is uh, uh, faulty. So here, when we say uh, the Vedas, whether we believe them or not, now if we are not to believe them, what could the issue be? It could be because it is wrong knowledge or it could be that they are intending to deceive us. So if, when you are looking at the validity of a, a statement, of a sentence, of a Vakya, we are trying to understand what is the characteristic of the person who is giving you that sentence. So that is the Paurusheyatva, because the quality or the merit or the virtue of that statement depends on the virtue of the speaker. You can't deny this. Now the fact that we cannot get the speaker, we cannot go to the author of the Vedas, is its Paurusheyatva. There is no person you can ascribe it to, whereby you can examine the person's merits and decide if you want to believe it. So that is the Paurusheyatva. Now, when the Buddhists say that we don't believe that and we have only the uh, Buddha's canons to believe and uh, the Mimamsaka says, on what ground are you holding that as valid? So, the uh, Buddhist says that, uh, uh, the Mimamsaka says, we have this ancient uh, uh, religion, why should we uh, give that up and accept something new? On what basis are you giving that? So, they say that the Buddha was most noble in character and enlightened and he was Sarvagnya. Therefore, everything he said is totally true and we have to accept it. But the Mimamsaka says that uh, how do we know that he was Sarvadhyaya? We are living in a far removed time and place and we cannot access him and we cannot understand, uh, we cannot verify the Sarvadhyaya. Kumarila Bhatta says this is from the Shloka Vartika. Kumarila says that um, he gives an inference there. He says just as at the present time there is nobody who is omniscient. So it must have been in all times past and therefore there could have been nobody omniscient and therefore the Buddha could not have been omniscient. Then moreover we have only the canons written by the students of the Buddha who were also far removed in time and place and they were not capable of comprehending the Buddha's omniscience. So how do we rely on the omniscience of the uh, Buddha? So then uh, the uh, uh, Buddhists say, okay, the students, the disciples were not Sarvagnya, they could not have uh, been able to, uh, they were not equal to the Buddha, but the uh, master's prowess was such that the rocks and boulders and walls reverberated with his teachings. So that is the canon that we have. This the Mimamsaka says is, goes outside logic and it is a matter of faith and we do not want to rely on uh, sermons that have come out of uh, rocks and boulders. Now, Pollock doesn't talk about these issues. When you look at an argument on both sides, if you think one person is absurd, then so is the other. 
and if one person is logical so is the other i just i think i didn't mention sarvagnya kalpanan yastu vedecha paurushayata tulyata kalpita yena tenedam sampradharyatam he says uh, kumarilla bhatta says some people postulate apaurushayatva that or, or we are postulating apaurushayatva and some people are postulating sarvagnyatva and he uses kalpita so it is we are positing we are speculating and he accepts that we are speculating and we are positing but he says our uh, uh, method is better so it is not as if the intellectuals of uh, uh, ancient times were so naive as to imagine to be fooled by all this i feel uh, pollock's allegations don't go beyond the very basic purvapaksha and uh, he just goes on and on and i don't think he has even done much uh, reading or uh, research it's enough to look at secondary literature and pick up all these purvapakshas and build up a thesis so that is sanidhya matrastu pumsas chintamane rivas nisaranti athakamam kudyadi bhyopi deshanaha evamadyuchyamanantu shraddhadhanasya shobhate kudyadi nisrutatvacha nashvaso vedanasu naha so we don't accept the buddhist canons because they have emanated from rocks and walls then we know that the again the apurushetva is because the guru shishya parampara has no beginning there is a, a quotation from apolak Yeah, he says the Veda's injunction to act is meaningful precisely because it enunciates something that transcends the phenomenal, something inaccessible to observation, inference, or other form of empirical reasoning. Something, in fact, irrational. Now, this view is not a very uh, original sentence because it has uh, so much of uh, profound meaning. It is a repetition of the Mimamsa's own stand. as to why we cannot understand the dharma by any other means it's a very detailed discussion um, uh, alok also spoke about that this is a very detailed discussion of examining all six methods of uh, cognition and to see if it's adequate the last bit something irrational is pollock's addition so this is typical of the way he writes where he takes the most of it from our own uh, tradition and our own phrasing of the issue but he adds his uh, bit uh, at the end and apaya dikshita was a scholar of uh, fairly recent times i am mentioning this because in the paper you know i have taken their uh, discussions and uh, uh, talking of greed and hatred between the priests and all these things so that was the background for this paper now uh, apaya dikshita was a orthodox brahman who practiced all the rituals in his personal life he was a mimamsaka he was an advaiti he was also a rhetorician it's very difficult for a modern researcher to uh, classify him as anything and uh, i just want to mention that uh, dr pollock uh, translates uh, his uh, work purvottara mimamsa vada nakshatra mala as the milky way of discourses on mimamsa and vedanta and calls it collected essays in the prior and posterior analytics but nakshatra mala does not mean milky way it means galaxy or string of constellations there are 27 constellations on the equator of the celestial sphere traditionally 27 are named and a nakshatra mala is supposed to have 27 uh, pearls the the book uh, apedikshita's book has 27 essays so he has named it nakshatra mala and a nakshatra mala is also a pearl necklace with 27 pearls and our term for the milky way is aakash ganga in this case it is not very significant but you can see how what latitude they take in translations 
And if we translate words with uh, no regard to the uh, conventional meaning or the world of meaning that it conveys, when you know the context, I didn't work very hard. I only look. I knew Nakshatra Mala was not Milky Way, but I didn't know the 27 uh, arguments, and I I haven't seen the book. I have no idea what it contains. But the dictionary, basic Aapte's dictionary, it gave me all this information, and it's why it's amazing that uh, Westerners don't seem to even use a dictionary. And also, moreover, we know Purva Mimamsa always deals with uh, uh, Mimamsa that is dealing with the ritual aspect of the Vedas, and um, uh, Uttara Mimamsa deals with the Vedanta portion that deals with the Upanishad. And I don't think Pollock can translate them as uh, prior and posterior analytics. In conclusion, I'd like to read uh, what I have here, half a page here. One cannot help but wonder if the Western scholars would show the same enthusiasm to research issues such as the persecution of Galileo or Reformation and Counter-Reformation in the Church or issues such as slavery in America. If at all they are impressed by the depth of learning in India, they hide it well. If they derive neither joy nor enlightenment from Sanskrit studies, why do they do it at all? There is not one system of knowledge that does not have some point of singularity as it is called in modern physics, where there is no answer and hence the question is not addressed. We can ask questions such as what was the expanding universe like at its first moment of creation, that is at time t equal to zero, what was the cause of the big bang, what is the value of infinity divided by zero, why does the bible say that God created the world in six days, what is defined by day in this context. Is it a day on the earth or is, could it be a day on Jupiter? But then what would constitute the main meaning of day on Uranus whose axis lies on its side? Should we not understand the neighborhood of the earth, the solar system as being encompassed within the definition of world which God has created? And so on and on. But we cannot hope for conclusive answers. If we were to pause to understand how God could have handed the tablets with the Ten Commandments inscribed on them to Moses, Progress in reading the Bible would be slow indeed. The Taitiri Upanishad speaks of the teacher and the student sitting down together to study. Let us be protected together. Let us sup together. Let us join in our endeavors. Let us start, let our study lead to illumination. May we never succumb to hate. If the Western endeavors and Sanskrit studies are not guided by this lofty ideal, they are not worth five paise. Thank you. To help me, you can do two things. You can go to the subscribe button on my YouTube and subscribe. We need more subscribers there. Uh, secondly, I get lots of emails on people saying, how do we donate? How can we help you? Uh, you go to rajimalhotra.com or you go to infinityfoundation.com and you can hit the donate button. You can donate in dollars. There are different ways mentioned. If you want to donate in rupees, there is a column called uh, Infinity Foundation India and you click that and there are instructions on how you can donate in India.